Thanks for joining us here at AG Kolkata. We are the church for the open arms and we serve in the city of joy, Kolkata. It is our desire to reach out to those in need and to be instruments of effective change in a hurting world. If you like to learn more about us, you can simply go to www.agkolkata.org. We hope that you'll enjoy today's message. God has given us his word. Yes, we hold it in our hands, we read it, we listen to it, read. But dare I ask you this morning, when you read God's word, does it sometimes feel like a chore, you know, a boring duty? Something we have to do, you know, uh, because we're supposed to do it. Or do you find yourself approaching the Word of God eagerly, joyfully, expecting God to speak to you as you read God's Word? Do you read it like you would read a letter from a friend or even a lover? Last week, Pastor Patrick began our journey to Psalm 119. And as you read the psalm, it's a long psalm, by the way, 176 verses. As you read it, you realize what a priceless treasure we have in the Word of God. This is a person, the, the author of the psalm is someone who has become a true lover of God's Word. So in these two verses, that I want to kick off this message with, he expresses his feeling about God's word. He said, the law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Because I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold. You can just sense his emotion. He's saying, it's so, so important, valuable to me, your word, God. And sometimes when we look at our own relationship to God's word, we wonder about this passion. Many of the Psalms are spontaneous expressions of emotion. That's what the Psalms are, raw emotion, pain, frustration, anger, and also joy and overflowing praise. Some Psalms express hope. But Psalm 119 is different. This is a skillfully crafted piece of poetry. And uh, if you've looked at the Psalm, and I suggest you do if you haven't already, you'll find it's broken up very neatly. 176 verses are broken up into 22 sections, each section corresponding to a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So if you divide 176 by 22, what do you get? You get eight. So each section has eight verses. And each section begins with the, that particular letter of the alphabet. I just want you to have a look at this, illustrating it. Uh, this is not a Hebrew lesson, by the way. But if you notice, this explains what it is like. Verses 1 through 8, Aleph. Verses 9 through 16, Bet, so on and so forth. 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And the entire psalm is divided into these 22 sections. Next slide, please. 
What you've already observed in the previous slide is highlighted here. The first eight verses, can you see the identical letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph? The next eight verses begin with Bet. The next eight, the following three verse, uh, eight verses with Gaimel, and so on and so forth. The last slide, this is what it looks like. Okay. The red circles, the first eight verses, show you all those eight verses beginning with the same letter. The next eight verses, all the verses beginning with the same letter. Now, obviously, it takes a poetic inspiration to do this. So why this beautiful design, unique design? In all probability, most scholars believe the reason this was arranged in this form was to help people to memorize the psalm. And of course, when you think of memorizing 176 verses, I don't know, for me it's a daunting task. But it's one thing to memorize Psalm 1, six verses, Psalm 23, six verses. But 176 verses, but yes, there are people with the passion and love for God's word who were willing to memorize the word of God uh, with this kind of devotion and passion. The theme of this psalm is very clearly the word of God. That's the theme. And so you find different words, a number of different words used which indicate the same essential truth. So you'll find them used synonymously, meaning the same thing. The word, not only the word of God, other words such as commands, laws, precepts, decrees, promises, statutes, judgments, and words. The psalmist uses a range of eight different words pointing to the same truth, God's word. And interestingly, when you add the usage of these eight different words, they amount to 176. Quite a coincidence. 176 verses, 176 times there is reference to God's word. So the author is somebody who loves God's word and regards it as a precious gift and priceless treasure. That's the title of this message, by the way. God's word. Pr precious gift and a priceless treasure. Why was God's word so precious to the psalmist? And that's what we want to learn this morning. What made it for the psalmist, God's word, such a precious gift and a priceless treasure? Now, obviously, we can't expound all 176 verses. Uh, I mean, we can't even read 176 verses, leave alone expound 176 verses. But the three or four uh, messages we are devoting to this is to try and get to the heart, the meat of the psalm. And so this morning, we're going to focus on three sections with the question, why is God's word so precious? Why is it such a priceless treasure? First and foremost, the psalmist believes it's precious and priceless because it shows the way to a life that is pure. It shows the way, God's word shows the way to a life that is pure. So the very first section and a few verses from the next section reads like this. You're welcome to read it with me if you like. 
but we are going to read at least three sections in fully. By the way, three sections is just 24 verses out of 76, 176, okay? Let's read verses 1 to 11. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Notice the different terms used. The law, statutes, ways, decrees. Again, commands, righteous laws, your word. Different words used to denote the same truth. I don't need to tell you this morning or remind you this morning that we live in a world in which we are surrounded by evil. And all I can do is illustrate symptoms of this. We put our money in the banks for safekeeping and now we are discovering that it's the easiest place for clever businessmen to steal from. ATMs are installed for the convenience of people. And banks do everything they can to make them secure. But if you're reading the newspapers, you know that people have found a way to break into these and rob other people's hard earnings. I don't even want to begin to talk about the scams in which people, ordinary people, simple people, hardworking people, lose their entire life savings. We live in a world of evil. The government passes laws to protect our sisters and daughters from sexual exploitation. So the government passes laws and in the same newspaper which reports this, the passing of the bill, the same newspapers report brutal, barbaric rape of little girls in homes, see the irony, which exist supposedly for their protection. We live in an evil world, surrounded by evil. And as I could go on and illustrate, of course, from other sectors as well. But when we hear this, we read this, we shake our heads in self-righteous disapproval, don't we? Because it's easy to see the evil in others out there, the other person. This morning, I'm not sure if I should ask your forgiveness, but I'm going to do it anyway. I suggest we take a good, hard look at ourselves in the mirror. How clean are my thoughts and actions? Is my heart 
Really all that pure? I hope none of you are offended by what I'm saying. If you are, well, what can I say? Most of us think we are okay. Most of us think it's the other person who is the problem. If you do badly in the exam, it's the tuition teacher's fault, isn't it? If your company is doing badly, if you're the boss, it's because the staff are useless not doing their job. And if you're an employee, the boss doesn't know what he's doing. He's the problem. If your marriage is going through a bad patch, it's always totally, completely, entirely only your spouse's fault. If your blood sugar continues to remain high, it's because the doctor doesn't know his job. He's not medicating you right. Not because you are not watching your diet or failing to get regular exercise. I could go on, right? It's always the other person. Let me suggest to you what the real problem is. Again, the word of God reminds us, Proverbs 21, 2. Read it with me. People, people may be right in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their heart. You know, the Bible constantly warns us. Our heart is deceitful. If you try to judge yourself, Chances are you will be deceived. Let me put it differently. I suggest to you when you grade your own exam paper, you will always pass. And with flying colors. You and I need an external examiner. The God who speaks, we serve and worship and know and love. A God who speaks and he has given us his word, his law, his guidebook. And he tells us his law is an extension of his nature. This is what the psalmist discovered. Why he loves the law. Because the law shows him the way to a life that is pure and clean. James describes it as a mirror. So you go to a mirror, you may, you may think your face is clean, but the mirror doesn't lie. You may think you have a lot of hair, but when I look in the mirror, the mirror tells me, don't flatter yourself, you don't. That's the word of God. That's the word of God. The psalmist discovered that. He said, the, the way... To a truly clean life is the word of God. To quote from the passage we just read, the first few verses of Psalm 119. Read it with me. I just don't want to quote it. This is the, the meat of what the psalmist is saying in this section of one, Psalm 119. Let's read it together. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. And then he goes on to say in verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hmm. So you get it right? We may worship the Lord with all our might. We may have the Holy Spirit living within us. But without God's word, 
that I look into regularly, that I submit to, and that I'm committed to obeying, you're going to continue to fool yourself about your, the state of your heart. Psalmist says, I don't do that. I hide it in my heart. His word in my heart. So every time I do something I should not be doing, the word tells me that isn't right. You shouldn't, when, you, when you're tempted to lie, the word tells me you will not lie. When I'm tempted to feel jealous, when jealousy creeps, the word tells me that's wrong. The Holy Spirit will convict you. So that's the first reason the psalmist, the author of Psalm 119, regards the word of God as a precious gift and a priceless treasure. He says, it shows me the way to real purity of life. Secondly, he loves the word of God and regards it as a precious gift and priceless treasure because it shows him the way to a life that's safe. There's a phrase that keeps recurring in Psalm 119. The phrase is these three words, preserve my life, preserve my life. If you read through the psalm, you find it occurring not once, twice, but a total of 11 times. But there's one section of eight verses in which it occurs three times, and uh, that's the passage that I want to read for you this morning. It's from verses 153 onwards. He writes, look on my suffering and deliver me for I have not forgotten your law. Defend my cause and redeem me. First occurrence. Preserve my life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek out your decrees. Your compassion, Lord, is great. Preserve my life according to your laws. Many are the foes who persecute me, but I have not turned from your statutes. I look on the faithless with loathing, for they do not obey your word. See how I love your precepts. Preserve my life, Lord, in accordance with your love. All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Let me read that again. All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. One of the reasons the Bible speaks to us so powerfully, penetratingly, is because it reflects the realities of life on our planet. It tells it like it is. In fact, it's ruthless in describing the realities of life. It tells us Abraham was the father of the faithful and records one occasion when Abraham lies. It records Moses, the great prophet, receives God's law, speaks to God face to face. And when he sins, God tells him, you know, Moses, you're not going to enter the promised land. It records it. It tells of David's great exploits and how he is a man after God's own heart. And then tells us when he falls into sin with Bathsheba. That's what makes the Bible so powerful. It tells it like it is. Now, this is true, especially of the Psalms in general and Psalm, Psalm 119 in particular. Psalm 119 celebrates God's word. But as you read it, and I've read it through several times, 176 verses, yes. It's interesting the picture it portrays of life on our planet. 
and I cannot possibly read the entire psalm for you, but let me give you a sample by giving you some of the language, the words that you find in Psalm 119. The psalmist discovers this about people, okay, and about life. He discovers that people can be, and all of these words are in the psalm, okay, people can be arrogant, callous, unfeeling. He finds people are interested in a selfish gain. He says, I'm surrounded by evildoers. And he shares his experiences. Listen to the words he uses in describing his experience. Trouble, distress, sorrow, shame, disgrace, scorn. You'll find all these words in Psalm 119. Contempt. He talks about suffering, affliction, even persecution. We just found that word. He says, I've been despised. I've been the victim of falsehood. Slander, even wicked schemes, oppression. My enemies lay snares for me. And he says, you know what? I've cried out for help in desperation and shed, get this, streams of tears. Streams of tears. So if you shed tears, let me tell you, you haven't shed more tears than the psalmist, the writer of this psalm. What is he saying? He's saying what you and I know too well. And if you don't, you haven't lived long enough. He says, he's saying life is tough. There's pain. There's disappointment. There's heartache. It's a doggy dog world out there sometimes. There are enemies who will give you a hard time. There are even friends who can turn foes. He's not pessimistic. Okay, don't, mind you, he's not pessimistic. In fact, if you read the psalm through first time, you'll think he's, it's all uh, you know, precious stones and gold and silver. You've got to read through carefully and you find all he's doing is saying, this is life as it is. But that's not what the psalm is all about. The psalm is really about how does one survive in such a world. And of course, he tells you the conclusion. Verse 114. It's a summary. How do I survive? Come on, read it with me. You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. Get these words. Refuge. Where is refuge? A place where you run and hide. What is shield? Protection. And we'll come to that in a, uh, a moment. And hope. I have put my hope in your word. You, I need you to get this, okay? It's, it's beautiful in the psalm. Hope. What's the source of his hope? There are two things on which the psalmist's hope is anchored firmly. Let me read again, selectively from the verses we read. He says, preserve my life according to your promise. Your compassion, Lord, is great. Preserve my life according to your laws. See how I love your precepts. Preserve my life, Lord, in accordance with your love. Two things. The first is, my hope 
is anchored in God's unchanging word. I thought somebody will say hallelujah. God's unchanging word. Over and over again, you see in the psalm, him declaring, you preserve my life according to your word. You preserve my life according to your promise. You preserve my life according to your laws, your precepts. Not just that. There's a second thing on which his hope is anchored. God's unfailing love. Your compassion, Lord, is great. Preserve my life, Lord, in accordance with your love. And in verse 88, he says this, in your unfailing love, preserve my life. Oh, these words echo some famous words from the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. Some of you may know this. You're very familiar with this. It says, and keep in mind, Lamentations is a book of weeping. That's what, it, in fact, the name comes from the word lament. It's a book of sorrow, pain, and in the midst of which there's this gleam of light and hope. The writer says, because, read it with me, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Your word shows us the way to a life that is safe. A life that's grounded in God's unchanging word. And anchored in God's unfailing love. It's safe. Secure. Let me read that again. And you're welcome to read it with me. A life that's grounded in God's unchanging word and anchored in God's unfailing love is safe and secure. Amen? Amen. The psalmist regards the word of God as a precious gift and a priceless treasure because it shows him the way to a life that is truly pure. It shows him the way to a life that's safe. Truly safe. Thirdly and finally, psalmist regards the word of God as a precious gift, a priceless treasure, because it shows him the way to a life that's satisfying. Truly satisfying. In the last section of the psalm is a prayer, essentially a prayer, and it reads like this. May my cry come before you, Lord. Let's try that again. May my cry come before you, Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. May my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your promise. May my lips overflow with praise for you teach me your decrees. May my tongue sing of your word for all your commands are righteous. May your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, Lord, and your law gives me delight. Let me live that I may praise you, and may your laws 
sustain me. Let me just try and summarize the essence of this prayer, the first couple of verses. Essentially, what the psalmist is praying at the conclusion of this great psalm, he's saying, I need to know your will and purpose, Lord. That's what I want. And I want you to guide me to my promised destiny. Notice the focus is not on himself. It's on God's plan, purpose. Lord, I live not for myself, for you. What is my destiny in you? Just show me God. And then notice even though the previous section I told you, he tells, describes life as it is here, there's no note of defeat. There's no note of despair. In fact, it's, it's shot through with hope and joyful praise. Listen to his language. My lips overflow with praise. My tongue sings of your word. Your Lord gives me delight. That may seem strange, when you read God's word and you're not familiar with that sentiment. Because when we think of God's word, when we think of law, we think of it in negative terms, don't we? We think of law as something it's oppressive. The law, a word of God, suppresses freedom. It suppresses joy. It, it puts limits on what I can do and cannot do. Nothing could be farther from the truth, my brother and sister. The psalmist discovers this and uh, all through the psalm uh, one, one nine, you find him repeating this refrain. The refrain focuses, chorus focuses on the word delight. Your law gives me delight. Your commands give me delight. Your law is my delight. Your statutes Ah, my delight. I delight in your commands, your law, your decrees. Over and over again, at least nine times you find him celebrating God's law. I looked up the meaning of this word delight. And you know what it actually means literally? It means finding enjoyment and pleasure. In fact, the very first word of this psalm is blessed. And if you look at some alternative versions, you find that this word blessed is translated joyful or happy. And perhaps you find it strange. Pastor, I know we are supposed to read God's word. I know reading the Bible is good for health, spiritual health. But joy, delight, pleasure... Please pause for a moment while we dive into the meaning of this word a little more closely. This joy, this delight that the psalmist is talking about is not just the rush of adrenaline you get when your favorite team wins the gold cup okay, or gets a goal. It's not the momentary temporary high you get from an intoxicating drink or drug. Not that kind of joy. 
It's not even the feeling of well-being you have when everything is going well with life, you know, when the, all the bills are paid, your boss is being kind to you, business is doing well. You know, you have a sense of well-being. Children are doing okay. This delight is more than that. It's much deeper. Delight has to do with the nature of life itself. When you're able to make sense out of life, When life has meaning and purpose for you. When regardless of the state or condition of life, you have something to live for. Something to die for. And if I can illustrate from two ends of the spectrum, okay? When you have all the wealth you need, when you reach the pinnacle of fame, or success, when you've achieved everything you've ever wanted to and dreamed of in life, then what? Here's the thing, friends. After all that, if you still have something to live for, something to die for, something to look forward to when you're at the pinnacle of achievement, that is what he's talking about, a life that is satisfying. The other end of the spectrum, when your dreams have been shattered by a devastating tragedy, maybe failure in a crucial exam that determines the trajectory of your life, failure in an interview you were looking forward to, Again, means a major career change. But your business crashes. The love of your life walks away. Or you get news of a fatal accident. Or a sickness that's incurable. Worse still, when you're at that point in your life, and you still have something to live for, something to die for, something to look forward to. That is what it means to have a life that is truly satisfying. That is the delight the psalmist is talking about. That is the joy, the pleasure he's talking about. That is the ultimate victory that he has laid hold of in delving deeply into the word of God. And he's discovered, I can only find that permanence. I can only find that lasting meaning, value of life in God's promises, God's word, God's law, God's decrees, God's statutes. Perhaps you're saying, I'm not there yet. Here's why. There's a price to pay. And when you're willing to pay the price, two steps. To understand God's word. Thank God all of you are here this morning because at least one of the reasons you're here, you want to understand God's word. But there's a crucial step too, which frankly, many of us fight shy of. 
the focus on Psalm 119 is not just God's word. Something more. It's obedience to God's word. Not once, twice, ten, 17 times in the psalm. The word to obey occurs. You see, friends, you will only find the promises that the psalmist discovered in Psalm 119. Life that is pure, life that is safe, a life that is satisfying when you're willing to pay the price of obedience. Costly obedience. But that's the final mark of spiritual maturity. What a problem-free life. No. But a life that is satisfied, deeply contented, because your roots have gone deep in the unchanging word and unfailing love of the God who created you and who says, I have a wonderful plan, destiny for your life. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Here's your take home today. And that is the word of God is whether you feel it or not, is a precious gift and a priceless treasure. It leads to a life that is pure, safe, and satisfying. Thanks for listening to this message from AG Kolkata. We hope you would stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at AGC Kolkata. We would love to know how this message has touched your life. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing us at stories at agkolkata.org. Hope you have a great week ahead.